ladies yeah. and gentlemen, so excited today <laughs> to have uh, Dr. Laura Anderson here. This is me. From a book, you just wrote a book called When Religion Hurts You. Yes, I did. It came out uh, two and a half weeks ago. I like a book that just tells you what it's going to be about. <laughs> and, yes. um, you know, I probably should start before we trigger anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you cope with writing a book about the the, the parts of religion that are bad, which is probably yeah. man-made manipulations and things mm -hmm. like that. How do you cope with that versus trying not to scare people away that, that feel triggered? Because if you say anything bad about God or religion, yeah. that it's a whole like an issue. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty clear, like on any of my platforms, uh, social media, website, company, everything. I'm not anti-religious, but I am anti-abuse. I'm anti-harm. I'm anti-oppression, anti-racism all the things that can make up a lot of the toxicity that we see within religion. So that usually puts people at ease. Um, I don't take the approach that in order to heal from religious trauma, you have to be an atheist, which is, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And before that was kind of like the general consensus in order to heal from religious trauma, you just reject it all and become an atheist. Um, I don't take that approach. I take the approach of religious trauma as trauma. And so that tends to soften people a little bit. They're able to see like, oh, maybe you're not talking about all religion or you're not talking about, you're not trying to bash it, essentially. And, and I think that's what's so important because if, if the goal in life is to sort of have common ground and mm -hmm. discuss complicated issues, then you don't want to just push people away because right. religion, just like things like politics, there's certain lines where people will choose that over their family uh, you know, mm -hmm. there's, you just, yeah. what, what is it in the brain that makes us so crazy for maybe not being able to, to hear, like, you know, there's so many yeah. people that are uh, refuse to hear about the bad sides of religion and all the manipulation that goes on. Like what, mm -hmm. what's going on in the brain there? Yeah. So that's actually a good question because I think the brain is always the best place to start. Um, so our brains, the way our nervous system works is that we, um, our, our brain is scanning constantly 24 seven for danger and danger is very subjective. So, um, you know, what is dangerous to you may or may not be to me, vice for me, versa. It's bad audio. Yeah. That's what's, <laughs> by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you push your seat back from the side down there? I forgot to position like, your seat. We're in a rental backwards. car. Backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Just to like, give yourself as much room as possible. Oh, wait. If you have, oh, you might not have the, the automatic one that I have on the side. It's back. Okay. All the way okay you're good. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. We're in a small car here, folks. Tiny little cramp thing. And we're in Tennessee. The, yes. uh, you know, uh, the Driving of, the backwoods of the backwoods of, of uh, the Bible Belt. Exactly. <laughs> so sorry to interrupt. So danger. Yes. So yeah. So danger. And so, um, one of the things that helps our nervous system feel safe and at ease is sameness. So anything that is different then can feel very dangerous. And the thing is with our brain is that we don't always like scale the level of difference. So it's like we could have a difference in creamy versus crunchy peanut butter. And my brain could say, well, that's a threat because that's different. Really? Just the same way as, you know, if you believe in a certain religion and I believe in a different religion that has opposing beliefs, that could be seen as a threat as well. So this, does this relate back to like sports? Whose team? Sure can. Whose yeah. side? Yeah. What flag are you flying in your front porch yeah. and all of that? Yeah. You see, like, I mean, we're in the South. It's Saturday. Uh, football is life here. So it's like everybody picks their team. And if you walk into a certain bar and you're an Alabama fan and you're in the Auburn bar, like you're going to feel a little bit of threat because they are different than you. Whereas if you, you know, walk into the Alabama bar, 
you're good. You're safe. Right. right? And on a heavier level, <laughs> yeah. skin color, Absolutely. religion, these yes. types of things can divide people. And mm. of course, religion, since it's, you know, the, since the beginning of time has divided people. Absolutely. We're seeing fights right now. We're seeing wars break out across mm -hmm. our world that are people fighting over who's got the right God. Yes. And that doesn't seem like a godly thing to fight about. <laughs> yes. It makes sense to those of us sometimes on the outside of it. But when religion is your identity, right? It shapes everything about you. It shapes the way you spend your time and money. It shapes the way that you have relationships with people, mm -hmm. how you vote, who you see as an ally or against you. Um, then, you, actually, yeah. you actually talked about in your book mm -hmm. um, that after the 2016 election, yeah. you were seeing a lot of broken people mm -hmm. because they couldn't believe how someone could get elected yeah. who pretty much violated a lot of religious ide ideals and yeah. yet co-opted that religion and became, I mean, people are literally painting Trump as the next Jesus. And, and in some cases, yeah. I think people put him above God. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> I don't know how they don't see it as that, but like, I, I know I had a conversation with one of my family members prior to the 2016 election. And I asked them, I said, how, tell me how you justify this because I remember you teaching me that character mattered. And I remembered you saying like, if this is how a person is, you know, in their family life, this is probably how they'll lead. And, um, and then you're, you're now supporting this other person who goes against all of that. I'm so curious. And but what about the other guy? Right. Yeah. The, but what about ism is huge. Um, but yeah, it, it really is. I think religion has in so many ways or high control religions has veered away from like the things you know, like love and patience and compassion and, you know, helping those in need, you know, which is like kind of the tenets of a lot of religion, but they focus more on things like power and certainty and needing to be right. And that really plays into the human brain and the human need for safety and certainty. And so they go, you know, my way is the right way. And, and also God says, and so it brings about a lot of justification for really horrible actions, I think. Yeah. And you know, Trump has always you know, wanted to be a winner. Yes. And I feel like with these mega churches, <laughs> yeah. they're winners. They're yeah. the big ones. They've got the private jets. So there mm -hmm. is something about wanting to root on the person who has acquired all that wealth. Like yeah. we do like look up to wealth as like a better uh, ideal to have. Mm. And, and yet, you know, with like uh, the comparison there is that it can maybe suck you in to think that they're better than or they're more powerful. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about, um, high, what did you say, high power religion or what's I the... call it high control religion. Okay, high control yeah. Religion. So yeah. tell me a little bit about what makes, what, mm -hmm. like what that term means to you. So interestingly, there's not really like a full definition of what is a high control religion. In my book, there's a, a diagram in the very back and it's called the religious power and control wheel. And it's these eight different categories that kind of make up what I would consider a high control religion. And it's not exhaustive. There could be more things, but it's things like it's, it's areas of control. So it's, it could be things like isolation. So um, isolating you from friends and family or people outside of that system, information control. Um, they would dictate, you know, how you can spend your time, who you can listen to, who you can't listen to, what's like, right like and wrong. Like music, Absolutely. podcast maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, 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 yes. and controlled how? Through shame mainly? A lot of shame. There's a lot of like eternal consequences. So I was actually just writing this morning an article for my Substack on Britney Spears and she was not okay <laughs> to listen to because she was this quote unquote really bad influence. And so I was a kid, which meant that, you know, my parents could influence that to an extent and they could 
control. Um, but you know, when I was an adult, I, I think it was already so ingrained in me that this was bad and that her influence was so, um, against and opposite of what I stood for that. Why would I want to fill my mind with that? And, you know, and her being bad is the dancing provocative, a, the way she dresses, you know, so supposedly kind of just becomes yeah. sort of shamey because then how could you dress yeah. in a way with a midriff yeah. or things like that? Why would you want to fill your mind with that? Yeah. Now, I've got my own set of issues in life. I truly do. <laughs> I don't feel... Um, I grew up in New England. Like, mm -hmm. Catholic, being Catholic where I come from, yeah. it's just a cultural thing for the most yeah. part. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There were some levels of shame, but yeah. not the whole don't wear a short. Like, you know, mm. I just, I just met my wife. She grew up yeah. in Kentucky. Yes. And, you know, she, you know she'd be told to throw on a T-shirt at when she's oh, yeah. at a pool party. Oh yeah. And it's like first of all, a, a wet t-shirt <laughs> is way way more sexy than, than you know whatever, but it's like you don't realize the trauma until you either leave it or grow mm -hmm. up and, and and it can it can last for a long yeah. time. Yeah, I grew up at a fundamentalist Christian camp. My dad was a director there. Oh, fun. So the whole t-shirt over the swimsuit, absolutely. Like that was just normal. In fact, just wear shorts and a t-shirt. Don't even wear the swimsuit. Just, you know, be fully clothed. Mm. Or better yet, don't swim with mixed company, you know? Wild stuff. <laughs> um, some Some de denominations of religion called it mixed bathing, not mm. even swimming. And we're talking so. sometimes prepubescent. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking, in, you know, so we're very talking sexualized. sexualizing mm -hmm. the girls before they... And it's, and you, you look back on it and you go, man, what a letdown mm -hmm. to rob someone of their youth, of, of, Absolutely. of their innocence. Like they're, you're going to be mm -hmm. robbed of your innocence already by outside forces. Yes. Who needs those yeah. that you value to be close to you, your parents, your ministers, you know, mm -hmm. your principal and your teachers, you know, telling you, and, and I, you know, to some level you can understand dress codes to some level, sure. uh, you know, but, they, but it's almost like a dress code can be abused just yeah. like the Bible can be abused. And there's a difference between like having say a dress code and then heaping on shame and more moral judgment as mm -hmm. a result of that dress code. So I know certain schools that have dress codes because it works better for their students to all be wearing the same thing because of um, different socioeconomic statuses, because of gang violence, because of a variety of different She's things. She's getting stolen. Absolutely. Who's got the nicest outfit, sure. Yeah. And so you go, okay, that, that there's a dress code that could be for a reason that might be beneficial. However, if we say, well, you can't wear this because if you're, if you wear spaghetti straps and a boy sees your bra strap and then he's going to lust and stumble oh, and no spaghetti straps, yes, let me tell you exactly, that. Exactly. That's very different. <laughs> um, and it, and it also really bends towards women having to be the, the people that have to shift and change themselves in order to make sure that the boys or the men are okay and, and not God sinning. God forbid you got to put on some clothes that they pulled out of the gym yeah, lost and found. Exactly. Next thing you know, you're wearing some men's jo yeah. uh, jogging shorts. Oh, geez. So, yeah. mm -hmm. so w w how did you get in? And by the way, so you, you have a PhD. Is it in psychology? Um, mind or? body medicine is my okay. PhD. I have my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. Oh, look at you. Mm -hmm. You're overqualified to be in my <laughs> rental car right now. Uh, how did you find this, by the way? Find you? Yeah. You know, that is a really good question. I think maybe through Reality Steve. So okay. funnily enough, actually, Steve's podcast was the first one I ever did years ago. Oh, no way. He and Ashley Spivey used to do a podcast mm -hmm. together. And um, we did an episode on uh, purity culture and Luke Parker, who was on Hannah B's season, and then domestic violence. It was kind of all wrapped up into that. Luke Parker sued for $100,000. <laughs> 
ended yep. up paying 120000 including court fees. Oh, really? Because he was uh, going on some uh, unapproved Christian podcasts. Oh. So uh, the Holy Spirit did not have his back <laughs> yeah. uh, there. But that was for different <laughs> issues. Um, so, no, I, I ask because it's always great to tie into Bachelor, the mm -hmm. curiosity as we watch a show play out with purity culture. Yes. I specifically discuss Madison Pruitt Trout yes. a lot because mm -hmm. it's just ironic that she marries a billionaire son <laughs> and wants Very all this ironic. beautiful stuff in the world and takes a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollar payment from a essentially slave labor fast yeah. fashion company mm -hmm. and probably didn't know the difference at the time. But if you still Google her and she in this company that has yeah. 10 year olds making their Bangladesh, you know, factory, you know, mm -hmm. clothing, you, you just see the hypocrisy and the grifting. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And she's not a, she's not a huge, she seems to be a force who wants to do good, but we challenge that. We challenge this yeah. idea that this like um, effort she she tries to share about waiting till marriage mm -hmm. and being sort of like a poster child for that. Yeah. Maybe it's okay to wait till marriage, Yeah. but also maybe who the fuck cares? Well, yeah, at first, I mean, there's so many conversations from that. Like, why is it that evangelicals are so obsessed with people's sex lives? Like, who cares? Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been reading through Madison's newest book because of the purity culture pieces. There's some very interesting points as a 40 something year old reading about a 22 year old who goes, I've waited my whole life for this. Yeah, right? I, I missed that book, by the way, that didn't make it to my reading collection. I, I do these things called purity culture book reviews. And so I oh, picked her book up and I was like, all right, I'm going to read this because she's kind of trying to rebrand purity culture into a bit more of a uh, relevant thing. I'll say this though: nobody plans a wedding faster than somebody waiting till marriage. Uh, yeah, and it's so funny because you know she had that on her what uh, her veil. It said like worth the wait. Yeah. And there was so many podcasters that were like, "What do you think that means?" And I'm like, "Oh, I can tell you exactly what that means." She is talking about having sex that night. Yeah, and maybe yeah. the relationship works, maybe it doesn't. It really, sure. it really doesn't matter. It's like do whatever makes you happy. Mm -hmm. But even she made a TikTok this week that went through some Bible verses that mm -hmm. were like clearly just built like they are you know the, like how how do you wrap your head around the bible it is man's yeah uh, uh idea of what god said but but mm -hmm. transcribed and adjusted and all that like what's your thought yeah on that? um i view the bible like i view any book i i think that there's some wisdom in there i think there's some problematic things in there ultimately it was written by men and if you look at you know various historical things like you know what is it the council of nicaea where they're or is it the geneva convention i don't remember where they're picking out the books of the bible mm -hmm. you know it's like how interesting that the ones that ended up in there were all written by men or featured you know masculine or patriarchal stories um so i don't i don't buy the idea of this like book of inspiration and yet, you know, there's some really wonderful things in there, um, as well as problematic things. I think that for a lot of evangelical fundamentalist Christians, when they go, this is inspired, it's infallible, everything is true. That's where we start to get into problems. And also, it really is a buffet. They pick and choose. Well, that's what takes away any argument. Well, the Bible says this. Like, yes. I can't tell you how many times I go, I believe everyone, you know, you, you just share, share these undeniable facts about love and mm -hmm. that we're all equal. Well, the, the Bible says, you know, that the man has to, you know, whatever. You know, they just one yeah. thing after another recited and it takes away critical thinking. Yes. It takes away discourse, conversation, mm -hmm. because we can't just like, 
we can't just do that because I can take whatever your Bible verse is and I can Google seven Bibles ago what was written about that and it's mm-hmm. always changed. Mm-hmm. It was changed and, and rewritten by yeah. King James, right? And Well, you think about even like... You, think, um, you would think God's some blonde guy with eight, eight abs or Jesus. <laughs> exactly. In, in Straight like, white American just, Jesus. I mean, there's yeah. so many people that say, Jesus is from America. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that don't take the time to look back into the history. You know, you think of... Uh, there's a lot of like anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. Within fundamentalist Christianity. Well, the word homosexual did not appear in the Bible ever. It didn't actually make it into the translations until like the 1940s. That wasn't even a word back then. And yet this is something that people are hinging their entire lives on and legislation and everything like that. And I would go, wow, like if you just, if you look at even the original text, you know, you're going to see something different, but people aren't doing that. And yet they are harming other people as a result of it, as a result of this book that they follow. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. that's what it comes down to is harm. It's not yeah. about not believing in something or not having a, a greater belief in, in purpose in life. Mm-hmm. It's about the, the idea that being pure when it's enforced on others, whether it be through shame yeah. or whatnot, it can be, I mean, like, what are you seeing as a result other than PTSD, yeah. you know, what, like what's, what's the big hurt from purity culture? Oh, purity culture. It's unreal. So I run a company, um, called the center for trauma resolution and recovery, and we specialize in religious trauma and we have clients literally from all over the world, every continent except Antarctica. Um, the penguins aren't too hurt by, <laughs> by purity culture, but, um, the spaghetti straps. Yeah, I know. Right? Yeah. It's cause they all have to cover up. Yeah. Right. But, um, but I would say like, no joke, no exaggeration, at least 95% of our clients are coming in for at least in part purity culture. And it's everything from like immense amounts of shame, hypervigilance, um, like sexual pain disorders, um, relationship issues, uh, physiological issues, autoimmune things. Um, and then everything from anxiety, OCD, depression, uh, social phobias, that are really stemming from purity culture, um, as well as things like arrested development, like not really knowing how to function in a world outside of those sorts of teachings. Who am I if I'm not what they told me I was? Um, and so we work with clients, yeah, I mean, day in and day out who are dealing with the after effects of purity culture. And as a, for myself, I'm a survivor of purity culture as well as like actual sexualized violence, sexual assault. And I can say unequivocally for me, like healing the sexual assault piece was by far easier than purity culture. And yes, like Is that because that's more obvious? um, In some ways, yeah, in some ways. I mean, we look at the difference between what we would call single incident trauma versus complex trauma. Um, But, you know, I look at the way purity culture was ingrained into me and so many other people. Um, and it sticks. It does. It's not a matter of just walking away from it and saying, I don't believe this anymore. So it's can, how it lives in you. Can you pinpoint some of the more like the stronger aspects of your upbringing that, that it was, or mm-hmm. is it just the subtle, um, teachings? 
Both. <laughs> like, did you just show up one day and it's yeah. all right, now's your 11-year-old yeah. uh, church class. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, let's open up the book on why, you know, you're evil. Yeah, in, in some ways, yes. I mean, I remember walking into what we called youth group. So it's, you know, 12, 13, up to 18 or whatever, middle school and high school students. And you're, you know, especially as women, you're told, you know, you are a chewed up piece of gun, gum if you have sex before you're married. Like, that does a lot to a person's psyche. So that means I'm trash, I'm unworthy, I'm, you know, all these things. And when that is repeated over and over and affirmed by the people who are supposed to love you and take care of you, um, and then there's an eternal consequence attached to that, that can be really difficult. Especially if you, if, if you then act on any impulses and experiment, or like yeah. you said, if it's, if it's any sort of assault, yeah. then it was taken away from you. So it's almost like mm -hmm. doubly as bad. It's like, not only yeah. were you, you know, are you sexually assaulted, but then you're no longer yeah. pure. So it's like, yeah. whether it's by your choice or not by your choice. Yeah. And if, and if you do abide by all the rules, then then, I mean, have you, you've probably uh, dealt with people that, you know, well, we waited till marriage and yeah. then there's still this lingering weirdness yeah. about it all. I mean, one of the first times I really recognized professionally that purity culture was so harmful was a couple that I had in my office who, I mean, they literally like, we did it the right way. We waited until we were married. We did not touch each other. And, um, and here we are with this like really dissatisfying sexual life in our marriage. We have no communication skills. Um, we're not sure that we even like each other, but we, we did all the right steps and we didn't get the thing that we were promised to get. And that's not everybody, but there are a great deal of couples and, and I don't work with couples as much anymore, but one of the hugest things that they're dealing with the couples I've worked with more recently is that why are we together? You know, like we got married because we were told like, hurry up, go do it. You know, like you don't want to be tempted. You don't want to lust, you know, all these things. And then we get married and now we come out of it and the reasons we got married no longer hold up. And so now we have to reevaluate, but we're three kids deep, you know, 20 years into our marriage. A lot of times financial dependence, yes. maybe you're just a stay at home mom. Yep. So you just get deep, dark into these holes. Absolutely. Like, where, like you, you didn't have your, your true like body autonomy before. Right. And now you don't have it because you've got kids and you're Absolutely. figuring out who you are. Yep. Absolutely. And we're about the same age. And, you know, mm -hmm. my wife and I waited, you know, mid to late thirties before yeah. marriage and things like that. And, um, I, I mean, my, my, like I said before, we've all got issues. Um, but it has been interesting because I take a curiosity to it. Mm -hmm. I don't have, I, I mean, we all have a bias, but when I cover bachelor content, I didn't grow up with the spaghetti strap issue. I was over there in New England doing, <laughs> doing band camp. Everyone had spaghetti straps yeah. on. It was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, separate issues, you know, <laughs> priests telling us not to jerk off. And we're like, look, we're 13. What do yeah. you want? <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean, oh, that was a big no, no. <laughs> like I, this is like self disclosure. Like, like God like, gave us hands. I didn't know that off. women could do that. <laughs> like literally until my adult years, I was like, wait, what? Like women yeah. do that. And I know that I'm not the only one, but I know there was other women, but then also experienced a lot of shame, right? Because they're doing this thing that they're not supposed to. Doubly, not only did God say it, but sex is not for women. So, Which is wild because an orgasm is like your highest energy level. I totally agree. <laughs> so your body's built but to you feel this euphoria. But you can see why that would also be not great for religion, right? Yeah. Because like if if sex or sexual experiences bring out the essence of who you are, then it gives you the ability to like be full and whole within yourself. 
and you don't need religion. You mm-hmm. don't need God. So if we can, can, I really believe if we can control sex and sexuality, we can control people. Yeah. And, and, and you're seeing a lot of control even in mm-hmm. 2023 happen out there. Yes. You're seeing books getting banned, maybe taken. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a there was an author who whose last name was Gay and they banned her book. Are you serious? Or his book. I don't know who it was. was like, Whoops, sorry. We just searched yeah. gay and got that out of there. It's like, my, my name's Marsha Gay. Can you yeah, put my book exactly. back? It's a book about being gay, but it's, no, it's yeah. like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I guess, I guess maybe a good thing to do is to look at the good in things and let that expand and maybe that'll push out the bad. Mm-hmm. So what are the good aspects of religion that, uh, you know, you know, looking back on it that you could maybe, I don't know, uh, uh, expand on mm-hmm. that don't involve the negative parts about control? Yeah, that's hard because my stance, of course, is I'm not anti-religion. But if you, so if you can find a religion that's like not about power and control and harm and shame, go for it. Right. I haven't been able to find that myself. That's just for say, me. I always say the same thing about fear. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's trying to make you afraid of something is trying to sell you something. Yes. Well, the utility prices are going to go up. So you better buy these solar panels. Yeah. Well, you need to get the warranty because mm-hmm. your car tire is going to blow out. Well, and it's fear after fear after yeah. fear. And it's like, don't sell me on fear Yeah. because you can find fear anywhere. Mm-hmm. I religion, agree. It's easy to say they're going to, they're going to yes. come in. They're going to steal your jobs. Yes. They're going to, mm-hmm. they're, they're all these different things. Yeah. It's all based on fear. My belief, and maybe you know, I don't know if you know anything about this because it's just a theory, is that certain types of people and maybe certain age groups play Mm -hmm. off of fear more. Yeah. And maybe they're more susceptible to being sold on fear. I mean, your grandmother gets called up, you're, you know, scammed out of their mind because they think their grandkids Mm -hmm. being held hostage in Tijuana. Yes. I mean, so if you look back at certain like, trends in the United States. Uh, there's a great book called Jesus and John Wayne by Kristen Cobes Dumay. Highly recommend it. And she goes kind of tracks back kind of really the rise of toxic masculinity within religion and politics in the United States. But she starts off talking about uh, what she calls the Billy Graham generation. I don't know if you're familiar oh, with yes, Billy the Graham. 500 Club. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All of those people. I had basic TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she talks about like they, when that started, they did not target adults with fully formed brains. They targeted adolescents, so 15 to 25-year-olds, because that's where their brains are the most malleable. You can say the most, and they are like, okay, I can believe that. And they are the most impassioned, and their ego is all over the place. And so you can say, like, be part of this cause, and they're going to be the people that are championing it. They're going to be the people that are living out the hardest and then trying to convince other people to Mm. do the same. And so there is a lot of fear with that, and there's a lot of like just understanding the human psyche that goes behind that. So when you get somebody at that age to be sold out for their religion, it's very difficult to pull them away from that later on because it is so deeply ingrained into their mind and body. And it's really a lot of fear stuff. It's a fear rhetoric, really, that they're kind of basing it on. And there is actual research to back that up. I'm sure. I mean, you look at like um, pretty much most pro-life people are, you know, <laughs> they're going to rip the baby out of your womb. They're going to do this, they're yeah. going to do that. And it is all fear. Yes. And it's not yes. nuanced. Yeah. And it's not, well, there are situations where mm-hmm. your bo- the baby's dead. And, you know, there's so many, or the fetus. Yes. So many scenarios yeah. that require higher levels of thinking mm-hmm. that don't play onto that initial, like, desktop surface level. Yeah. Fear bad. Mm-hmm. Protect from fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think religion... 
Without saying it, they understand how the human mind works. They understand our basic human needs. So when you talk about things like what are the good parts of it, like a lot of people will say, I felt really connected. I felt a sense of community. And that's wonderful. And religion knows that that is a basic human need. Mm. So we can provide these needs for people because where else is a single mom going to go and have access to babysitting and community and safety and maybe even real things like food and diapers and things like that. They go, we can provide that. And that creates both this dynamic of you need us. And so then when we tell you something, then you'll be pretty scared if you don't follow it. You know, it's almost like religion in, in, in the good ways socializes help. Yeah. I like to turn that back on people who think like social, ah, but it's like, you know, it's like Jesus, Jesus might've been kind of a Bernie bro. He might've been someone who's like, <laughs> I kind of think so. We could have all, we could have all, <laughs> we can share in the community, but like to circle back to where yeah. you started, it's, um, the community wants to protect itself. Mm-hmm. But if you're outside the community, you yes. know, maybe the doors closed quickly mm-hmm. during a hurricane flood. Because you weren't, you know, and, you know, you know, I I just, I like hypocrisy on all levels. And I think (laughs) if we could ask churches who, you know, get tax write-offs that I don't, which by the, I mean, I might as well start a church. Yeah. We're driving with Dave Church here. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> a little side note, there is a church that just got uh, their tax tax exempt uh, status removed. That's of, right uh, about one mile from here. Being a political figure. Sure are. Yeah. Can't do that. Yep. Can't do it. I think as the crow flies, we're about one mile away wow. from, from his well, church. It's good to know that, yeah. that, that that actually happens because <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I've heard that my family's church has become a little ultra, um, uh, political. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that is so sad to think because I just, my, my heart will melt out of the chair, the generosity that I mm-hmm. believe my parents have in their hearts yeah. being put into a direction uh, based yeah. on fear and things like that. Yeah. There's a lot of a move right now that is joining together Christianity and nationalism. So we hear things like Christian nationalism, where in order to be a true American, you have to also follow this religion. And so that's where we're starting it to see it like seep into like the everyday church services of churches that traditionally have never been like that. Mm. And yet um, their parishioners, for whatever reason, are asking for that or are leaving if they don't get political messages from the pulpit, which is very bizarre. And is, you know, prior to 2016, that was like abnormal. You know, that was not the norm. We're seeing it happen now uh, because of the marriage of those two things. That's wild. And I I tease my parents, too, because I go, go, yeah, you know, Biden's a pretty good Catholic up there because they're Catholic. (laughs) They're like, no, I just, you know, it's just it's just funny. It's funny to, um, you know, but a lot of people in a lot of churches are good, but probably Mm. silent. So there must be a, 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 a strong power of keeping people from maybe speaking out mm-hmm. if they feel like their pastor or priest is getting political. And when yeah. we say you can't get political because not just because there's a separation of church and state, uh, but it's really because like you're tax exempt because you're a church. Mm-hmm. If you're political, you're now, you're yeah. now peddling other things. Yeah. You're peddling go- government like goods mm. essentially. And you can't yeah. be doing that. And right. also not paying. <laughs> exactly. Peddle your things, yeah. but pay the yeah. taxes that come But that's that. the hard part about that is like, Okay, so we have this weird thing with like whoever the pastor, the priest or whatever is like ordained from God, Mm -hmm. right? So if he says something, you have to listen a little bit more, which also means you can't really question that because Mm -hmm. if I'm questioning the priest, I'm questioning God. So then that's where we start to get these, you know, people that go, I have to be silent or I get on board, you know. Conformity. Yeah, I have kind of three, three things I can do. I get on board, I stay silent or I leave. 
you know? And so that is why we're, we are seeing people exit, uh, exodus out of religion in pretty large numbers. The, the percentage of the religious nuns is the fastest growing group of people in the United States. Um, but it also means that it kind of, uh, reinforces the message from a lot of religious people that they will be persecuted and that they will, you know, oh, that's this, another aspect. Yeah. And I know we got to yeah. go, but persecution, this idea that everybody's out to get you. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, cause you know, with this, I don't know if you know this, this lawsuit I'm dealing with, with the person who thinks I'm yeah. like out to get them. It's like, I just don't believe you. I don't believe <laughs> your evidence. Yeah. So like, if I don't believe somebody's mm-hmm. Bible, mm-hmm the way it's written or the ideology, yeah. if I don't believe that, and again, yeah. this comes from, I'm not even saying I'm atheist. I don't know what I am. And yes. I'm the, the, I just say human. Yeah. yeah. I'm human and I want to <laughs> share love. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what I want to do with this yeah. podcast. This channel is just share in, in good ideas mm-hmm. and good stories about overcoming things. But it's like, if I can't question things, that doesn't mean you're persecuted. No. That just me- means like you haven't really passed my sniff test. Yeah. And it's okay to be different, right? It's okay to have differences. I think we have a lot of similarities. We probably also have differences, but that's what makes like humanity colorful. It makes a, like, it would be so boring if we were all the same yeah. and that's yet it does play on that need for sameness, right? That equals safety. But I, I think when we can pull ourselves out of that and go like, wow, I can love this person in spite of what they hold this belief or that belief, you know, like that's a really incredible thing. Absolutely. And it, I think that's, I don't know, that's closer to what like true relationships and, you know, if we want to say like heaven on earth, it's like, it's that it's like just being authentic and, and loving people where they're at. Do you think we're moving farther away from loving differences or are we, or, or have we seen the, yeah. the, the biggest, uh, as, as the biggest, uh, abscess already happened and now we're coming back together? That's hard. I think research would actually suggest that we are moving towards like love, like, like people being more accepting but as that happens, we know that the people that are that want to hold on to that, that rigidity uh, work harder for that and get louder because they feel like their power is being taken away. That's a natural human thing. Doesn't make it right. It just we know it happens. It's the back into the corner. Absolutely. And so I'm going to scream louder. I'm going to go farther and faster for what it is that I want. But I think ultimately, even if we look at like sociologically and anthropologically, how different cultures and communities work, like ultimately when, when that, when that group of people finally dies down, we do get a more equal society. I think we're on that, on track for that. All signs would point to that. But that can feel really scary for the people at the top. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a very optimistic way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I feel. I try to feel that way, but I also feel like there's so much um, confirmation bias through um, through multimedia and mm-hmm. social media that is just like I hate to use the term fake news, but you know, whenever yeah. something happens, you, you don't even know what you're looking at anymore because everyone's trying to get different information out there, and it's like yeah. some bombing happens in the Middle East, and we're watching a video, and then they go, "Wow, that's actually from seven years ago," and it's like, "God yeah. damn, we just don't yeah. even know what yeah. we're arguing." We yeah. become denominator mm-hmm. out there. So, yeah. so, so for everyone who's getting ready for Thanksgiving and seeing your family, <laughs> it's like you can't even get on the same page because yes. the whataboutisms mm-hmm. and the arguments go in so many directions. Mm-hmm. That is it. Is it more important to just not try to? Like what's the, what's the, what's the best strategy for Thanksgiving? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I, I was really clear with my family a while back. I said, here's where I'm at. I'm not interested in talking about this. Like if you want to have a dialogue, sure. If you want to debate, no, but let's identify some topics that are always going to be safe, right? We can always talk about these things and we're going to be relatively connected on them. 
For us, that's worked. Some families, that does not work, that's right? A, that's a good idea, though, to identify, to at least identify the boundaries yep. of what yeah. conversations you want to get into. Yeah, and it's been cool with certain siblings of mine. They've actually calmed down a bit because they're like, oh, yeah, she's not going to try to, like, you know, pull us away from their faith or whatever. I'm like, why would I do that? Yeah. That's, like, so not who I am. But it's actually then created more trust and more connection. And that, to me, I'm like, that's that's exactly what I want. And they're like, we don't get it. How are you kinder even though you're not a part of this religion anymore, I'm like, well, Are you seen yeah. as that? Are you seen as the rebellious one in the family? Oh, yeah, definitely. Real rebellious yeah. here, Dr. Laura. <laughs> Look, I've been talking for 17 hours on this. Please. Yeah. I'm so glad we were able to talk in person. This mm -hmm. works out really well. And the next time we have a purity discussion based on the next crazy yes. day in Bachelor Nation, please God, yeah. zoom in and, and talk. Yeah. Or, or if I'm if I move here. Yeah, so we'll just, just set up a regular feed. Yeah, come to church, <laughs> baby. Let's do it. Thanks again. I got your book here, When Religion Hurts You. And people can go find that anywhere? Anywhere. Yep. Right. Or on my website, drlauraeanderson.com. drlauraeanderson.com. I'll put a link below and people can go check it. Yeah. Cheers. And thanks again for joining yeah. me. Yeah. I, I love it. Thank you. Oh, I could this talk for so hours. Great.